Welcome to our second episode of Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts. Sorry. I'm your uh, co-host. Uh, my name is Eddie, a.k.a. Game Agent E.T. Whoop. Yeah. And this is... JJJ, a.k.a. The Six-Button Samurai, a.k.a. Maurice. Maurice? Where'd you get that from? Is that a new name? Oh, man. Oh, man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, the memories. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Maurice. Maurice. You are. Maurice. Maurice was a guy that got way too excited about Skeleton Warriors on the Saturn. Yeah. And his catchphrase. at the store and just go, oh, man. <laughs> and... It's a great thing that we think about to bring us joy. So shout yeah. out, Maurice. Yep. Yeah. We love you, Maurice. Last week's big question was if there was one thing that you used to have in your gaming collection that you could get back, what would it be? And you and I each had two things. Yep. You had the Donkey Kong tabletop. Uh, kind and- of. It, it was a Qbert tabletop. Uh, I thought the, it was the Donkey Kong one was the one you were no, fixated no. on. Actually, I had the Donkey Kong tabletop too, but okay. my favorite was Qbert. And okay. that was from Parker Brothers. Okay. Not Coleco. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, literally I would take any of the ones I had. I also had Frogger. Uh mm-hmm. my sister had Miss Pac-Man. And my brother had Zaxxon. Nice. So I would have taken any of those. Good news on that front. Yeah. The Qbert one is actually cheaper. Oh, yeah? Than the DK tabletop. Um, There are loose ones on eBay. Yeah. That range between like 40 to 80 bucks. Oh, that's not bad at all. No. And then there's like a mint boxed one that's like 175. I would consider getting one. <laughs> you would, because that's that's your jam. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, so uh, oddly enough, that is like hands down the most affordable of the things that we talked about. Um, so how I looked about... into my first. Cho- I was gonna say I looked into my first choice of Panzer Dragoon Saga. Yeah, complete copy of that now will run you anywhere from a grand to fifteen hundred dollars. Oh my god. Yeah, I didn't now, realize it was that much. I thought it'd be like a couple hundred bucks. I mean, it's just, it's got such an absurdly low print run. Yeah. And the notoriety of that game has just grown and grown and grown in the, yeah. you know, 20 plus years since it dropped. Yeah. Um, your other choice, which was Ninja 5.0 on the Game Boy Advance. Yes. Is also a pretty expensive beast like mm-hmm. cartridge alone assuming this is like a legitimate cartridge and not a bootleg yeah um around 700 bucks jesus <laughs> complete in the box yeah more like two grand that is crazy mm-hmm. now I would definitely go back in time. And that <laughs> Probably that'd be my highest priority. <laughs> Not, and I wouldn't sell it either. I would actually yeah. keep it. That's how sick I am. Because yeah, I think now looking at this, like between Panzer Dragoon Saga and um, 
The other one I had was the Garo Mark of the Wolves home yeah. cart. Yeah. That one ranges between like thirteen hundred and two grand. Wow. Depending on state of completeness and condition. Yeah. So. It's crazy, <sighs> man. It's crazy how these old games that we used to enjoy are now just so much in value. And well no, the collectible games market has just done insane things. Yeah. I think partially it's fueled by the fact that like there's so much new technology available to play these things in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got like the FPGA based analog systems, other repro consoles, and there's just an entire ecosystem now that sort of fuels um it sort of actively fuels the nostalgia that people have. They're just like, oh, like that one game like really means a lot to me and I wanna try and get like a legit copy of it now that I'm like older yeah. and make better money, this, that, and the other. So well, yeah. um, it's but, pretty it's pretty wild. It is, and then it also kind of pushes people into, you know, going towards the dark side and, you know, hey, hey if I can play oh, this emulation. somehow. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean that's the thing though. Like <laughs> Right. I mean, I personally don't have any issues with that whatsoever, especially since... Oh, me neither. The majority of these things are not things that these companies are actively trying to sell anymore. Yeah. I mean, all three of those games... Well, Garo specifically, like, there is a modern version of that that you can buy on consoles that is still available today, and it's ridiculously cheap. Yeah. So... You know, if you want, like, a nice, fully featured one that easily looks great on your television, this, that, and the other, maybe has some network play and tow, um, that's definitely an easy way to do that. Definitely. Um, of course, Neo Geo specifically just sort of operates in its own kind of insane, high-priced orbit. Ever since you the know. beginning, I would think. <laughs> well, it has for a long time. I mean, obviously... You know, the console and the games themselves started out, you know, the Pretty console expensive. was like 700 bucks when it dropped with two sticks and a game. Yeah. The games themselves range like two to 250. Um, and then it's funny because the system sort of disappeared from like mainstream consciousness when the Saturn and the PlayStation landed. But after that is when the Neo Geo actually got a lot of its best games. And, like, the few that continued to collect for that thing wound up amassing, like, just a really pretty penny's worth of stuff now. Yeah. Um, you know, all of those later releases for the console are just ridiculously expensive. So Well, and I, I know that you're well-versed in Neo Geo uh, circles because you were part of the uh, Neo Geo forum right the one that was like a i fan. spent a fair amount of time on the neogeo.com forum yeah which, uh for better or worse was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i remember i mean i was a little bit of a part of it i wasn't as prominent as you but yeah. i was on the forums and we did talk about it a lot back in the day uh and well i managed to learn a lot from that community because you know yeah i I owned a Neo really early on. Um, it's funny. I went on a trip to LA shortly after I graduated high school 
Yeah. And I loaned this friend of mine like a bunch of money to pick up his first super gun. Yeah. And that was the thing that Dave and I were playing his Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition JAMA kit on. And mm-hmm. I was waiting for my money for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden one day he was like, hey man, I don't think I'm actually going to be able to draw up that kind of cash. Like, do you want this Neo Geo system? And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, it's funny because I have an initial memory of getting that system and all I had for it for a long time was Sengoku. And like, I still hate the sound of that game (laughs) and the title screen of it. Because yeah, uh, it wasn't the when best. When you only game. have one game like that for a console like that, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna continue and beat it and play the shit out of it and then get really sick of it. Yeah, and that was pretty much where I landed with that game until I was yeah. lucky enough to get a copy of Baseball Stars Two on clearance from the then software, etc. Yeah, and so that was like a fantastic <laughs> score, and that sort of kept me kept me over until like samurai showdown dropped it but, didn't um, it didn't help that the games are so expensive like even for me when no, I, was I mean a kid, it, yeah i had I like mean, a, it was weird because like this good friend of mine had plunked down literally plunked down eighteen hundred dollars for a yeah. street fighter 2 champion board yeah and so by contrast with that the neo yeah. geo was not that expensive but at the same time it's like you know my devotion to fighting games in that era really wound up sort of there's a lot of really good games for sega genesis and super nes that i wound up not spending time with because i was so focused on the fighting games in that time but that's a that's a conversation for another podcast yeah actually Um, that is because i have my (laughs) weird uh little things that i kind of did not pick up back in the day that do i regret it maybe a little but uh, I'm in the same boat when I kind of skipped a few genres <laughs> because mm-hmm. I was too into certain things. Yep. So, I mean, it happens. But yeah. Well, it happens, and it's, you know, it's it's also a testimony to how deep some of those games were at the time, the fact that you could play a single fighting game like that for months, and now we know years on end with some people. I mean... Yeah. You know, the, those games are uh, really, really deep, and you can you can spend as much time as you want with them, basically. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, uh, we're going to get now into the water cooler segment. And Street Fighter V had a really big content update this week. Yeah, um, it definitely did. Tell us a little bit about that, Ed. Well, <laughs> the two previously announced characters got more information and uh, those two characters are Oro who originated from the Street Fighter 3 series and he is uh, the infamous uh, he used to be uh, a character that only fought with one arm but mm-hmm. now he has both arms but he's holding a turtle in one of those arms so he's still basically fighting you with almost one arm the whole mm-hmm. time Yeah, and then there is Akira who is a character from a series rival schools that kind of had a cult following uh very mm-hmm. popular back in the PlayStation and Dreamcast days 
And she is uh, kind of like, a, I don't know too much about her backstory, but she uh, has a biker helmet that looks really cool. And she seems to have some of her attacks from the rival school games where she launches you up and does an air combo. And mm-hmm. I forget the style she has a fighting bike Baekwon. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think mm-hmm. it's a Chinese martial arts style. And it looks really nice. Uh, both characters look very diverse and mm-hmm. very interesting to play. Right. So I'm really excited for uh, those characters. I definitely want to try them out when they drop. Uh, I believe August 16th is the date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how about you? Are you feeling? Well, this and then update? the other big shoe from that announcement. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> And I, I think I think you and I disagree on this slightly, but it's going to be interesting to yeah. take apart. Um, yeah. They announced the very last DLC character for Street Fighter V. Yeah. And that's this very sort of earnest MMA-style kind of a boxer, kind of a kick fighter sort of guy. Yeah, with um, tattoos. His name is, right. His name is Luke. Mm-hmm. And this sort of generated a stir, um, and you can explain that a little bit. Yeah, first of all, uh, there's a little bit of a thing with people. Uh, they notice that Street Fighter Five has a lot of blonde characters in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, this is yet another one. Yeah. And number two, a lot of people are have been saying their things online about this character, saying that, well, I don't know about the look of this guy. It kind of looks like they threw like a bunch of things in a bag, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of traits of right. popular characters in a bag, like uh, Nash's hair and then like uh, the trunks from maybe Adon or Sagat and then the tattoos from Name Your tattooed character in any fighting game (laughs) and just in general you have this guy who doesn't really look all that awe-inspiring to be honest in terms of uh character design but uh, the fighting style looks interesting too yeah that's the thing the fighting style with him it almost seemed more street fighter quote-unquote than a lot of the SF5 roster in particular. I mean, he was almost sort of, he almost sort of seemed somewhere between like kind of a guile and a DJ thing happening, the way his projectile works into like a series of punches. Yeah. Like he seemed like very, um, very much like horizontally oriented, you know, like it's really about like sort of playing the range game horizontally against other characters um yeah and, i don't know like i'm intrigued by that um i also think it's sort of interesting that most people are feeling like this character is going to be more of a focus in street fighter 6 yeah and this is essentially it's almost a way of like testing out a character design ahead of a new game dropping which is a pretty interesting tactical decision yeah it's kind of like a teaser yeah yeah and it's like a playable teaser in a game that comes out before the game so right 
uh, to put that on him is kind of interesting because mm-hmm. now it piques a lot of people's interests and also right. just the fact that, I mean, we already saw this in Street Fighter 3 when Alex dropped and th- this wasn't like how it worked right now where they're dropping a character before the game comes out but when mm-hmm. alex came out in street fighter 3 uh capcom wanted him to be the main focus of that series right but then it kind of shifted back to ken and ryu which back in street fighter 3 those were the only two returning characters from right well, you were II. telling me a story about an infamous location test of that game yeah and uh <laughs> i saw it on i read it on polygon the website mm-hmm. polygon.com mm-hmm. and uh, there there was a lot of kind of like weird reactions to this game like that you know all i see is ken and ryu and all these weird characters and a lot of people were kind of some were confused some were just downright uh you know this isn't right. the street fighter that i know and then mm-hmm. it had its own host of uh, gameplay problems because it was slow. It wasn't really, from what the Polygon uh, article said, uh, from what I understand, uh, the person that was in charge of the Street Fighter Three project in the beginning, he wasn't really much of a fighting game player. Mm. So that's why it didn't feel like a fighting game, to be honest. Well, that's a like, pretty weird thing to be in charge of. Then. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I, I played Street Fighter 3 when it came out. And, I, you know, yeah, it did not feel very good, to be honest. Right. It just felt yeah. like, yeah, there's moves you can hit with them, but there, were, there wasn't really much of a flow. Right. Uh, and it just felt kind of disjointed at times. So... That game. Well, that was a out. really confused time for the franchise too, because like, yeah. SF2 had gone through five iterations, mm-hmm. and it landed at the iteration that people still play to this day. Yeah, you know, having gone all the way up to Super Turbo, mm-hmm. people still worship that game. Yeah, and then they had also developed the Alpha series, the yeah. second of which was largely seen by the player base as like oh like this is kind of the rebirth that i've been waiting for yeah. you know what i mean and a lot of people picked up that game and really dug on it in a huge way yeah and then three comes out the following year yeah and it was just like all right like, <laughs> yeah i remember the first time i played it and i was like i was blown away by it visually just the you know, the sheer quality of the animation. Yep. But everything else about it just felt off. Yeah. It felt weird. It felt sluggish. It it was more of a, hey, look at what we can do in terms of graphics and things like that. But then they didn't really focus too much on the fighting part. So that's mm-hmm. why it was what it was at that time. And luckily... Right. They rectified that in the second game of that series, uh, right? Giant Impact, right? Uh, second Impact or second Second Impact? I'm sorry. Giant so, Attack. Yeah. Giant yeah, Attack. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I mm-hmm. got mixed up. No, it's all good. Um, yeah, 
and it's shocking like how fast that came out mm-hmm. after three like it was there was a very short amount of time between those games i think if it was dlc yeah you it would have been like hey uh sorry we messed up uh six months later here you go <laughs> this is what we really wanted to bring out would have been a patch yeah it would have been that and probably would have been street fighter 3 still but better <laughs> right yeah but so yeah I, it's it, it's really interesting i think to look at this new character in street fighter 5 and sort of yeah you know look you, at it through that historical lens and see how you know hmm. sometimes they've tried things you know street fighter 5 has had sort of a long and kind of weirdly rocky road i mean it didn't come out of the gate in a way that most people expected. Yeah. Um, but that's you know, what makes Street Fighter just uh, just a beautiful series. It's because they try so many mm-hmm. things. They're not afraid to right. try and fail because they know, hey, if it didn't work, then we'll just keep working on it and then try to polish it up so that it's a much better game than it when it started because I think if you saw what happened with Street Fighter V, that happened as well in terms of when that game came out. Um, it was kind of like a bare-bones type of fighting game where it was, hey, there's no single-player uh, experience, but hey, you can play online. And hey, right. eSports. You like eSports, yeah. right? You can... Right. Uh, you know, connect online and play uh, with other people around the world. And then there was also the issue with uh, the online experience where it wasn't great. I mean, I don't know if it's great now because I haven't played in a long time online. But when I first played that online, oh, my God, it was like two, three minutes just to even like get into a match. And that's quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more because of the load times and just in general finding anyone. And then, oh, once you played, the connection half the time was good, half the time was bad. And, you know, I live here in Japan and even the connections were spotty at times. And it was mm-hmm. like against another Japanese player. So, yeah, I mean, they did a lot to kind of make it a better experience as you can see with the uh, recent summer update and now there's a lot of more diverse characters that make this game a lot more interesting to play because i think one of the complaints uh early on for street fighter 5 was uh the characters they they all kind of feel slightly the same and just you know there's no uh real incentive <laughs> to play it because it's kind of it was know. making a lot of safe choices yeah 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 try to be like a little bit like super terrible it seemed like because you know they focus a little bit more on i guess the ground game and uh, ranging because like street fighter 4 was more about uh it kind of had that i forget what it was but it was not like a parry but you can absorb hits and things like that so it kind of treated it as a parry mm-hmm. so ranging was still there but not oh you know, focus attack yeah focus attack yeah sorry about mm-hmm. that yeah my mind's a little fuzzy right now but no worries yeah but you know that that game was fun definitely mm-hmm. fun but a lot of people felt like 
it was too much of a change back to Street Fighter Five. Like it seemed a little bit more rudimentary. I think that's right. what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Wasn't as you know, uh, it didn't have as many options that Street Fighter Four had. But I think that improved over time as well. So yeah. I think that's the thing that I've heard about like this last year of DLC overall is that mm-hmm. some of the characters that they brought back have been a hell of a lot deeper in terms of their move set. Yeah. Making for much more interesting play mechanics with them. Like Rose and Dan are apparently great examples of that. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's kind of, I think they're actually in a pretty good place as far as trying to approach the new game. Um, having had this year of making DLC and taking some experiments with a game that, you know, fundamentally, like, no one's jumping on board the Street Fighter V wagon now Yeah, that hasn't already been there. But I think if they can... I think they've managed to make it interesting to this point in a way that some people are like, well, hey, maybe these new people, you know, given the departure at Capcom, yeah, you know, maybe these new people You're, sort yeah. of have a better grip on it and are going to be able to bring some fresh flavor to the new game. You're, you're talking about the new producer and the uh, other staff that kind of got recently promoted, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. the young blood. I think mm-hmm. that's what this series kind of needs to be honest yeah because mm-hmm. yeah i think uh now you have esports now you have uh online being very important nowadays so right. things like rollback uh netcode mm-hmm. things like that people want that and right having better lobbies better matchmaking you gotta get with the times in order to have a successful uh fighting game nowadays it's not just bringing out a great game uh, yeah, that can get ruined if the experience online is not fun. So, I think well, that, that was uh, the thing. I think when SF Five began, they kind of started out with like it didn't have the best network support, yep. but it was so overwhelmingly geared towards esports and online play. Yeah, that depending on what kind of a player you were, unless you were solely focused on making that sort of online play thing work for you on a regular basis. Yeah. There just wasn't a lot there. There wasn't a lot there for the old time heads. The network support on it was on kind of shaky ground to begin with. So, you know, hopefully after all this time and everything else that they created for that game, Mm -hmm. the staff that's working on it now just have a grip on it and are like, okay, these are the mistakes we're not going to make with the new game. Yeah. And that's why I'm excited about Street Fighter Six whenever that comes out. Uh because mm-hmm. I think uh I'm sure most of them, if not all of them, were there when the, they saw what happened with Street Fighter Five in the beginning. Yeah. So right. definitely I'd like to see what kind of new takes they have and what kind of new risks they would try to do in order right. to uh kind of get back to the top of the mountain if they're not already there because you know now that tekken uh seven is out uh it seems like tekken and smash they seem to be a lot more popular now so capcom definitely has some competition and 
being the grandfather of all fighting games, you don't want to just lay down. You want to mm-hmm. you want to rise up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Get back into it, you know what I mean? So exactly. I hope so. Because we yeah. both love Street Fighter. That's oh, yeah. how pretty much how we met, if anything. Right. And right. I hope that this new generation of Street Fighter, uh, when it comes out eventually, will bring new fans and appease the old uh, players yeah. alike and just kind of, you know, revitalize the franchise even more. That's what I'm hoping. So, For sure. But, yeah, one last thing, though, is that we really need Street Fighter 6, if it's possible, in the arcades here in Japan because, let me tell you something, I mean... It was already uh, a downhill slide with the arcades here in Japan because of, you know, uh, people slowly shifting towards uh, uh, console gaming or mobile gaming, but COVID made Mm -hmm. it even worse. And now you see a lot of these arcades in Japan closing down here and there. And Mm -hmm. it's really scary because some of these arcades have been there for like 20, 30 years and... They were like a fixture of certain areas, especially in Tokyo. And now you hear, oh, my God, this arcade's closing and this arcade's closing. Mm-hmm. And I, I see it firsthand when I see when I go to my arcades, uh, my game centers in Osaka. Uh, I live near uh, Denden Town, which is like if you think of Akihabara in Tokyo. It's, it's Osaka's much, version of it. Yeah. Yeah. And. Basically, when I go to the game centers, uh, I see that uh, it's kind of getting stagnant with the fighting game, uh, Mm -hmm. the the fighting games there. I mean, Guilty Gear Strive finally came out for arcade, but you don't see people jam-packed into arcades like back when Street Fighter 4 came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was there when... uh, and. You were kind of there too when there were location tests and everything, and I remember how many people were there when they were right. when Street Fighter Four was the hot ticket, and it was like that for several years. But now it's like with COVID, and geez, with the uh, restrictions that the Japanese government had to do because of state of emergencies because of COVID, uh, it's been really hard for arcade operators to stay in business and they need something like a new street fighter to hopefully keep them going once covid is you know a little bit more in control because i i honestly think if there's no new hit i mean right now all we have are music games and maybe a few big box games where it's impossible to have at home Right. Yeah, you 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 want something to bring the people in and you know, yeah. even though you can play Street Fighter at home, if you can play in the arcade, that's another option, like I told you, you know. Right. Some people want Well, I think play. following up with that, like yeah. um there are some other hopes. I mean KOF fifteen is gonna have a lot of interest, has been generating a lot of interest. Yep. With the long stream of trailers that have been dropping for the last uh, I'm definitely excited many 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 months and it looks really really good I mean it it feels 
you know, for a long time, 3D versions of SNK games were not great. Yeah. Like, they they just seem to really lack that sort of aesthetic flourish that SNK was known for with the titles that they produced for the Neo Geo. Yeah. And so it took a really long time for them to sort of figure out, okay, like this is actually how those games should look. You know, this is much more in tune with the classic aesthetic. Um, Samurai Showdown was like a huge leap forward for them in my mind in terms of capturing what made those games beautiful on the Neo Geo and really, really nailed down the spirit of those older games. And when I look at KOF 15, I mean, visually to me, like I see the color palette from the real bout games. I mean, it's really bright and vivid and driven by primary colors and the sort of cell shaded nature of the textures. I mean, it just, those are really good looking character models. Yeah. Are they, definitely a cut above what we'd seen from them previously. It's interesting you bring up the color palette. I I kind of saw that. I couldn't put it into words, but yeah, when the the previous King of Fighters came out, it looked kind of how should I say it? The colors looked a little bit faded. Mm-hmm. And kind of looked kind of flat. Just yeah. Not I, I don't know if it was like especially the first one. Do you remember the first one? Oh my god. Right. It looked like something that was straight out of PlayStation 2. Right. And then they slowly got better with it, but you know. So you're talking about KOF fourteen and like yeah. the differences where they had they actually had like a huge patch. Yeah. That was specifically to like give all the characters kind of an aesthetic makeover. Yeah. Um, and it helped a little, I think. Yeah. So but but yeah, um, KOF fifteen is going to come out, um, and now that this Virtua Fighter Five Ultimate Showdown is out for PlayStation Four and exists as a PlayStation Plus download, yeah, um, there are some sincere hopes that Sega might push forward and produce a new game based on you know, whatever their metrics are for VF5 US being successful. Oh, um, and there's also an online poll for that. Yeah. Where you can sound off on how you feel about Virtua Fighter 5 US. Um, I really enjoy the remake. Yeah, um, I haven't played it yet. Um, It is in arcades, but mm-hmm. I haven't personally played it yet, but it looks fantastic. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the makeover with the modern-day Yakuza Dragon engine, um, it's beautiful. Um, and But at the same time, like it, the remake completely preserves the gameplay as it existed in the last iteration of VF5. And that's um, good. That's, that's and, great to see. It was a nice surprise for all of us, I think. Yeah. So, you know, there's some hope on the horizon for the arcade scene and fighting games in general. Yeah. Um, but a little closer to home right now, uh, let's talk about what we're playing right now. So uh, what are you playing right now, Ed? A mixture of things. Like I dabbled a little bit with part-time UFO, which is, uh, I don't know if you know this game, but if you know Kirby, uh, Hal Laboratory, 
they made this game uh, that is basically, if you think about it, it's like a UFO catcher game, a crane mm-hmm. game. But you control this little UFO, and then it's one of those games where it gives you like tasks. And mm-hmm. it tells you, oh, put the toys in the box or arrange this uh, group of items into a tower, things like that. But it's very satisfying and very fun. And if you're a completionist like me, where you have to get all the medals or the best score, then this is for you. <laughs> so I highly recommend it. Uh, nice. I've been playing that and a little what's bit. What's that playable on? Uh, I believe it's on Switch, Nintendo Switch. Okay. And okay. the second one is Streets of Rage 4. I started yeah. playing that again because yeah. I'll be honest with you. When I first played it, when it first came out, I was not too uh, keen on it because... Okay. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because when I started playing it, uh, I noticed that the enemies had a little bit of, you know, too much of an advantage sometimes when you were fighting with other uh, opponents. And then, like the walk speed for certain characters were way too fast. And I felt like, man, this is kind of frustrating because I mean, I played a lot of streets of rage too. And Mm -hmm. I don't remember the, the enemies reacting that way where it kind of feels to the point where it's like your, your hero Mm -hmm. is not so super compared to the, like the grunts, you know? Okay. So that's why I kind of put it down for a little bit. But then mm-hmm. when I heard about the DLC, um, was it Mr. X's Nightmare? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I decided, all right, I'll, I'll try it again. Because yeah. you, you also told me about it. And you were telling me you, you've been loving it ever since day one. And I was like, all right, it's time to give it another chance. And I'm glad right. I did. Because mm-hmm. now, I don't know what they did since the first day or first month uh, the game mm-hmm. came out. But when I played it, it feels a lot more fair. Okay. It definitely feels better. It feels like, okay, if the enemies hit me, it's my fault. <laughs> it's more in my control now. Okay. And, and also, I think I told you before, I played a beta of it at Bit Summit right. a year or two before uh, the game was released. And then right. uh, when I was playing it, in the short amount of time I could play it, I was playing Blaze, and then I was noticing that uh, the the game looks great, but I feel like I'm quite limited into what I can do in the game in terms of offense mm-hmm. and things like that. Because yeah. if you if you know me, I love uh, the Double Dragon series, and my favorite mm-hmm. game is Double Dragon Advance, right? And that's on. Game Boy Advance, and if you ever get to try this game, which is you know one of those rare games that costs a lot of money now, but yeah. um, this game has tons of options in terms of offense and a little right. bit of defense as well. When I played Streets of Rage Four, I felt like uh, I kind of wish there was more I can do with my favorite character, which is Blaze, and then mm-hmm. that was another reason why I was a little bit frustrated. But then when I started playing again, uh, as recently as what, a week or two ago? 
uh yeah mm-hmm. i noticed the huge difference between like okay uh you can combo into this and it feels very fluid now and it's kind of they kind of up the uh combo system and allowing you to hit more okay which yeah i felt like in the beginning it was a little bit restricted but now it's like they're letting the floodgates open so now you can kind of like make your own combos which i love i love making my own combos i love you know trying to uh lab up on that you know Mm -hmm. go to the laboratory and just hey what if i do this and it even has its own training mode and i love Mm -hmm. that so yeah no, I, uh, it's funny because like I continued to play Streets of Rage 4 and then I distinctively remember like you didn't talk about it much at all anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, like I noticed that, but I didn't really like put it together. I was just like, oh, yeah. You know, cause I was just absolutely smitten with the game. Um, yeah. You know, as somebody that purchased bare knuckle from Mega Drive as an import and like waited for the UPS truck (laughs) just based on like what a giant fan I was of revenge of Shinobi Mm -hmm. and the the coverage it had gotten in EGM. I was just absolutely sprung for that game. Yeah. And in that game, I used to play Adam more than Axel or blaze. Yeah. So with three to rage four bringing Adam back, uh, I was just like completely sold. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've continued to play it. I'm unbelievably happy with the DLC. I mean, I think it's really like a ridiculously good deal that for eight bucks you get four new characters, a boatload of new moves, this really interesting kind of quasi RPG light survival mode. And yeah. then 46 new minutes of music. Yeah. So. And uh, definitely the survival mode. I tried that uh, last night. It was so much fun. Yeah. It's just you get a different power up every round you uh, you beat. And then there's hazards everywhere. And it makes it very, very interesting. Yeah. And then random enemies, things like that. And well, I don't know about you, but I think uh, my first couple of games, I lasted about 30 minutes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's pretty fun. No, it, it's injected like a ton of additional life into an already really good game. So, like, yeah, I purchased the first game digitally. Then I landed a physical copy for Switch. Mm-hmm. And now with this one, even though I purchased the DLC digitally, apparently they are going to produce like a full like game of the year version physically that'll include the dlc so yeah i'll have to pick that up as well just because i appreciate the hell out of this game do you do you remember who's doing it limited games or who is it the one i don't think it's been announced yet like i saw some mock-up artwork somewhere and i should have taken more specific note of it but i didn't yeah um but but no that'll be awesome to see when it drops yeah. Um, a thing I started playing this week, um, The Ascent came out on Xbox. Um, I am playing it on the Xbox Series X. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 
I don't want to call it a twin stick shooter because I heard it called that initially and it's actually really not, it doesn't really play anything like next machina or geometry wars or any of those twin stick shooters. If anything, yeah, it's actually a little more Diablo ish in that oh. it's this cyberpunk flavored shooter. Yeah. Um, it's really beautiful. It, has it just nails that whole Blade Runner aesthetic perfectly, um, with just a boatload of fancy next gen visual effects in tow. Hmm. You know, there's kind of like I don't think it's actually employing ray tracing in the game, but it's employing ray tracing like lighting and effects. Yeah. Um and so it's fun. It starts it does I was talking about this with our mutual friend Mike and he observed that it starts out a little bit slow, but then it really generates like a big old head of steam. Last night was the first time that I sat down and plunked a couple hours into it. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool. Like it's not, there's a lot of people who are just like flipping out and raving about it. I'm yeah. not quite there yet. I need to see a little bit more how it sort of develops and like the combat itself takes a little bit of getting used to because like, it really does feel more like Diablo than it does like a twin stick shooter. Hmm. Um, in that, when so the how... enemies approach, it's like when the yeah. enemies approach within a certain range, like you pull the L trigger to sort of activate like this laser scope kind of thing. Yeah. And then, like, if you're using a machine gun, the gun will sort of spray and kind of auto track enemies like within a certain range. Yeah. So it's a little bit sort of floatier than I would have imagined, but it's still pretty darn cool. And, you know, it's really about just sort of like using your dodge roll to get the hell out of the way because the enemies will frequently just try to bum rush you. Mm. And so you want to backtrack a little bit, roll back, and then fire back in their general direction. So it has the cabal roll, right? The, from the yeah, kind arcade of. It's game kind of Cabal. like the, the shock troopers thing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. And also, Wild Guns also has that yep. as well. So mm -hmm. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I don't like have an Xbox. Call you, when we used to call you Roll Boy. <laughs> dude, all you do is roll. That's all you do, dude. That's all you do. That's all you do. Um, every once in a while, Eddie and I will make reference to this dude named Jeff. Hey, yes. Jeff. Jeff, you're out there. You're amazing. Um, <laughs> he is the quote machine because anything he says is quotable because of the way he talks. Uh -huh. <laughs> but we love him. Very, very declarative. <laughs> um, but um, uh, there was a time, this is when the first Capcom versus SNK appeared. Yes. Yes. And Eddie would rock a team of nothing but ratio ones. <laughs> including King, who had this thoroughly obnoxious, like, third of the screen role. Yep. And Jeff was yeah, he frustrated with this. He got frustrated. He gets frustrated easily when it comes to fighting <laughs> games. He mm -hmm. He'll say stuff to you, like, if he doesn't like the way he you play, he'll start, mm -hmm. he'll start making fun he'll of you or start, start running complaining. Commentary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was known as Roll Boy. Because yep. that's so all you all do you is do. roll, dude. I, it makes me want to quit this game, dude. That's all. <laughs> if that's all you're gonna do, dude, 
I, I don't want yeah. to play anymore, dude. It's just not fun. Jeff was clearly not a KOF player. <laughs> but I definitely was. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I Precisely. Was. Yep. That's why I knew. I just knew. Uh-huh. <laughs> but thank you for bringing those memories up. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Classic. Um, so our last item here is the big question, and yep. this is a little bit of a weird one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like for Eddie, for you, like your location is kind of the key to this. What other things have video games served as a portal to in your life? Like a gateway drug, right? Yeah, a okay. gateway drug, or pointed you towards some other sort of cultural or personal interest like whatever it is it's a very open-ended question well there's one obvious one and that's uh me being here in japan because Mm -hmm. uh because of the influence of the video games that mostly came from here you know Mm -hmm. as i've mentioned a few times before one of my favorite uh games is uh street fighter and Mm -hmm. when i found out oh my god it's in japan then right. I started becoming a little bit more interested in the culture and uh, trying to learn the language. And I definitely uh, started drawing because of artists like uh, Bangus, who drew amazing art for games like Vampire, Vampire Hunter, which is also known as Dark Stalkers. That was my favorite mm-hmm. series back in the day. And mm-hmm. I loved the way he drew the characters. So right. that got me interested into drawing a little bit of his style because it was unique you know he had characters with big hulking hands and feet and it Mm -hmm. wasn't proportional to you know normal people but i was like wow this is so awesome just to see his style of art also there was kinu nishimura who is also uh she's still at capcom from what i understand or not at capcom but draws things for capcom Mm-hmm. And she has been drawing uh, art for them since Super Turbo. So Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Artists like that got me into drawing on my own. And I still draw to this day and, and I'm still learning. So that's And it's one. really useful now in your trade as a teacher, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. It helps me a lot with when I draw little things for uh, the students to, you know, I like to make a lot of jokes and... I use a lot of visual gags, so I've been known to draw a few funny pictures, things like that. And they're all video game related, so yeah, it's fun. But the biggest surprising gateway drug for me for video games was football. Because I had no idea about football before I played a game called Tecmo Bowl, which any classic NES gamer would know mm-hmm. and my friend uh i had a friend and uh he was uh playing football in high school back in the day and then uh, i vi- i would visit visit his house once in a while to play nes games and then one of his favorite games was tech mobile and mm-hmm. i was watching him play and then i was watching him play uh i believe as the 49ers and then i was looking at at the time joe montana and I was like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. Like, he's a excellent thrower of the football. You know what I mean? And he had mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Rice to throw to. And I started learning, wow, 
these are some really cool football players that I, just the game itself, like I started learning like these guys that I've heard from, you know, the news, they're in this game. So I started playing a little bit at his house. And then before you know it, I bought Tecmo Super Bowl, started learning names of all these players. And before you know it, I pretty much know probably 80 to 90% of all the rosters out there in the current NFL. And even in past NFL seasons, I know so many previous players that have played the game just because I played a Tecmo Bowl on NES. It kind of became an addiction. Just, wow, football is really exciting to watch and to play on in video games. So that was... That was my huge gateway drug besides the obvious, you know, the link to Japan. Football was also very big for me. So, And while we're on this uh, retro NFL tip, I just want to doff my cap real yeah. briefly for the NFL 2K series. Yeah. Yeah. it's. I miss that series. It was so uh-huh. good. I loved it you on Dreamcast. Co- you can't coach that, Ed. You can't. Can't coach that. <laughs> so good. I man, when Madden Madden took over the NFL franchise, I was so sad because it was a dark day. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, how about you? What was your uh, gateway drug in terms of going through video? You know, it's 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 tough to think of specifics because you know I've been going to arcades in some form or another since I was like five. Mm-hmm. And I've had consoles in my life pretty much since around that time moving forward. I think innately they appealed to me just because it's such an overwhelmingly visual art form. Yeah, and it is. I've always been drawn to those things. You know, there's just this sort of indistinguishable haze between like me growing up and being a big Star Wars fan. And then, you know, when I got a little bit older and we were in like the the dark ages of like the late 80s and early 90s when there was very little happening with Star Wars. Yeah. And I would read about like George Lucas's influences that like, oh, this is why Darth Vader has a helmet that looks like that because George Lucas was a huge fan of samurai films. And, mm. you know, Ralph McQuarrie's concept art catered to that. At the same time, like my burgeoning interest in video games and what was happening with magazine coverage at the time, Super Mario 3 dropped, you know, a year and a half ahead of when the U.S. got it. And the entire time, like there were all these little snippets and teasers of that game appearing in video game magazines. And I just became absolutely fascinated with the idea that like there was this parallel world in Japan where... They had all like the same consoles that we did, but they were getting all these games that we didn't have. And that became just like, oh, like, what are they getting to play that I don't get to? You know what I mean? And yeah, the, the frustration game. and uh, right. also the language barrier. Yeah, I mean, that was a time when I wasn't particularly adventurous about that kind of thing. I mean, I definitely wasn't like. I wasn't going to bite on like a Japanese copy of like Fantasy Star 2 to play that sooner. Like I wasn't 
I wasn't quite there yet, but I would deal with it with something like bare knuckle. No problem. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird, I don't know. Like to me, like they're just, there's no sort of separating what my interests are culturally because they've all just sort of kind of bled into the same stream for so long that Mm. it's kind of, it's kind of tough to really pick how games became a portal into one thing. I think if anything, like that experience of going to arcades when I was young, really sort of fostered like a really sort of independent streak to me where, you know, there's been a few different times in my adult life where like I've moved like sight unseen to take a job in another state. That might be the kind of thing that would sort of spook some people, but like, you're 13 and running around in an arcade by yourself with a pocket of quarters. I mean, it was all sort of like select your own adventure. Yeah. And so I think the spirit of that time still is something that resides within me. And, you know, it always makes me sort of curious or, you know, with a certain level of wanderlust, like, Hey, what's, what's over there and what's happening there. And how do I, how do I experience whatever's going on? in the place where I'm not, you know, for better or worse. Yeah, because originally, uh, where did you grow up? It wasn't in the States, was it? No, it was. It was in Tucson mostly until I was about the age of eight, and that's when I wound up moving to Guam for a little while. Split time between Guam and San Diego. Oh, okay. Because I remember you told me a while back that you went to Guam, and yeah, Mm -hmm. I was... I don't know too much about your days in Guam, but yeah. I'm sure that maybe video games were. Well, that was the thing is my interest in them even peaked further while I was over there because there were kids wandering around yeah. that had game and watches. Oh, and nice. I had never seen those before, you know, so seeing kids have those, I was just like, oh, what is this? You know, like <laughs> the only comparable thing that I'd seen before that going to elementary school in San Diego, like there were a couple of kids that I knew that had like the, the Pac-Man watch. Yeah. I had that. that (laughs) And that was some pretty mind blowing shit at that age. Yep. But then to see like this completely self-contained, like dual screen thing. I mean, the first one I saw was somebody's Donkey Kong game watch. And I was just like, Oh, what is this? You know, (laughs) it kind of, it kind of blows my mind that like I was there right around the same time that like the Famicom landed in Japan. Yeah. But like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite get there yet. You know what I mean? And that always, that was always sort of a thing that was like motivating me growing up. I was like, Oh, I really want to go to Japan someday. Cause like I was really close at one point, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, but yeah, eventually so. you did. I know. Eventually yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I was here for that. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was a damn some, good time back in, yeah, we had some uh, back in 2008. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so. but yeah, I, I think uh, this question, uh, the reason why I thought of it was because I don't know of many other hobbies that could be out there that if you do this hobby, there are so many things that can branch out from it that also can pique your interest and also be a huge part in your life as well. And right. Yeah. For me, thanks to video games, I'm in Japan and I love football. I love sports. And yeah. 
well, mentioning George Lucas or well, I'm sorry, Steven Spielberg or George Lucas. I, I don't don't kill me for mixing these up, but <laughs> um, Indiana Jones. I had no interest in until I played uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the arcade cabinet from Atari. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. What do you right. mean there's a movie for this? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I watched wow. the movie and I was like, wow, I, I love Indiana Jones. <laughs> so nice. that's when I became a fan. So that's right another example. There you go. See, that's, that's funny because that is the inverse. Like most people would have seen the movie first. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe discovered the game at the mall arcade, like after the movie. Yeah. But for right. me, my window was right through video games. If, if it wasn't right. on in video games, I had no idea what it was back right. then. So mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, obviously, the single biggest takeaway from gaming is just like, you know, between you and Mike and Sebastian and some of the other people I know, I mean, yeah, it's definitely been the gateway to like the longest lasting relationships that I've had in my entire life that aren't people that I'm related to. That too. Some so. of my uh, lifelong friends, best friends, I met mm-hmm. through video games. Yep. Almost all the time. So I'm very grateful for this hobby and I'll continue it until the day I die. Pretty much. Yep. Bury yeah. me with my consoles. Yep. <laughs> bury me with my pocket consoles my neo geo pocket thank you i know you've got all <laughs> portables so most of that shit's gonna fit in there easier yeah for, for you what would you put in your casket <laughs> um yeah one thing one thing oh this is a <laughs> i mean is this like a separate question now like what's the one piece of video game paraphernalia you'd be buried with <laughs> You want to answer that now, or do you want this, to answer this, that? This got dark. I don't know. Let's let's ponder that and save that for next time. All right. All right? Let's parking lot that one. All right. No problem. But uh, uh, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode two of Oh God, it hurts. Oh God, it hurts. Thank uh, you so much. Yeah. Um, you can find Eddie at Game Agent Et on Instagram. You can find me at Super Barrio Kart with a K on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Um, check out many of the other programs on the Ruminations Radio Network. There are many other great. Check out Retro Futurist Culture or Ruminations of Red Rum or many of the other awesome shows. Yeah.
What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at ruminationsradionetwork.com.